I'm going to teach a class on discontentment. And if, I know that you are having problems with being con, dis, content, but I've learned if I want to be discontent, that I just need to compare myself to somebody. You ever done that? <laughs> and all of a sudden you can compare yourself on social media, everyone looks like they have the perfect life through social media. And then all of a sudden you go, man, why can't I have that life? And I usually look at other pastors and I go, it's not fair. <laughs> Joe Olstein is exactly my age. I have a church of 130. He has a church of 30,000. He writes books. I don't even read books. Okay? This is where it drives me crazy. And so I, I watch people, and there's another pastor I used to look up to, Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard was a prophet from God. Ted Haggard started a church of 20 people. 20. And then he had tw 22 years of double digits cons consecutive growth in his church. So then, for a few years, then all of a sudden, because he started when I started, he's running 14,000 members. He has a $30 million campus. And so, and get this, that he was voted uh, in 2003, 2006, to be the president of a 30 million member National Association of Evangelicals. Woo woo. So he got to meet President George W. Bush on a consistent basis. I don't even know my council person, let alone meeting with the president. But everything seemed to be going great for Ted. But Ted had this, what we call a sudden wake-up call, like all of us do in the ways in our life. Because a male prostitute publicly accused him for having sex with him and doing math with him. And I remember looking at the headlines going, there's no way this could be right. And so he denied it, and I go, get it, you need to deny it. And then six months later, he admitted to it, and he resigned from his church. Now, if you look on the screen, we call this in the evangelical world a fall from grace, right? A fall from grace, or however they fell from a fall from grace. But if you look about it, how do you fall from grace when it's grace? Right? It doesn't make any sense. A fall from judgment, yes, I get that, but a fall from grace doesn't make any sense to me. How I kind of tend to see to look at it is I put on the screen, what we think as a fall from grace can often be actually be a fall into grace. Into the grace of God. And so let me tell you what I think. This, and I've seen Ted Haggard. It's what I've seen Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. A man called by God. Ted Haggard was a man called by God. A prophet. He knew the word of God. He knew how to preach the word of God. But yet, Jonah was running and hiding. Yet, Ted Haggard, back then, was running and hiding as well. Now, it's interesting because he would preach against homosexuality and then compulsively would be watching gay porn later on during that week. And so, therefore, his worlds kind of came together. Now, this is interesting because we all do this. It's called compartmentalization. We learn this when we were kids. What we do is we take an area of our lives that we're ashamed of, that we're struggling with, and we don't let anyone know it. It's in a different compartment. And so therefore, it's almost when you come to church, you hold those compartments down, and you go, hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord, hallelujah. He's risen, yeah, he's risen indeed. 
And we go like this and talk like this because we show the particular compartments that we're comfortable with. Look on the screen. Hiding and compartmentalization are sure signs that a person is running from God. People live secret lives because they are ashamed of their behavior and don't want to be exposed. Compartmentalization happens when a person is trying to hide part of themselves for which they are ashamed from themselves. So compartmentalization is a part of denial that we all have in our lives. We have denial in our lives where we just go, I just dismiss it. This is not who I am. This is not part of who I am. This is something that's just, I already, I did. It's not who I am. And so we compartmentalize. Here's the problem with compartmentalization. When you struggle with shame and guilt and you have difficulty <coughs> releasing it, because you compartmentalized it, you're not even dealing with it, you're not even thinking about it, you don't want to do it, and you wonder why you're struggling with shame or guilt. And you go, how do I get rid of this? You compartmentalize. I compartmentalize. And so this is where he fell into grace because I think, believe, Ted Haggard really had a hard four-year <coughs> journey of reality. He went to four years of hardcore counseling. He dealt with his wife. He dealt with his family. And it's interesting, he went from complete denial to five years, and he just, after five years of counseling, and he did not compartmentalize anymore. He told the world, I am bisexual but I'm choosing to be monogamous with my wife. I'm choosing to restore my relationship with my wife and my family. And I'm, I'm choosing to live this life. And through therapy and therapy and therapy, he, he came to the truth of himself and he's no longer hiding. And this is what's interesting. If he and his wife started another church, is it a mega church? No, he doesn't believe in mega churches anymore. His church is focused on redemption. His church is focused on authenticity. And get this, his church is focused on not judging. Isn't that crazy? No judgment, just love. And what's interesting, if you want to know the fact, I was looking at him to see what denomination accepted him and ordained him. It's our denomination, which I didn't know. Our denomination, went part of the restoration and brought him into the denomination. So I look at this and I go, my goodness, this is why we're doing Grace Track. Jonah's journey is our journey and we are focusing on, and I put it on the screen, we can run, but we can't hide. Now I'm looking at Adam and Eve. Remember, God, when he was looking for Adam and Eve, he wasn't mad. He just said, why are you hiding? Why are you compartmentalizing your life? Why are you doing this? In fact, the psalmist, here's the psalmist, I love this, because, look, can I be honest with you? I have a dark side. Do you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I can go dark if you want me to. Because all of us have a dark side, right? Yeah. Okay, if you're honest. And sometimes that our dark side, we compartmentalize that. We go, man, if anyone knows what I've been thinking about, what I've been watching, what I've been doing on the internet, man. Forget the dark side. But you look at psalmist, because the psalmist is wise when it comes to the dark side. Because look what he says here. It's on the screen. I think it is. Surely the darkness shall co cover me, and the light around me becomes light. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So what he's saying, it's almost like a flashlight. You know, Jesus is light. Like a flashlight, it's not going to work outside. You know, it doesn't work. It looks best in darkness. And so as dark as you are, as dark as I am, man, the Lord's light shines. And so therefore, it's not dark when we don't compartmentalize. The psalmist gives an important wisdom here. It's on the screen. When we think we are hiding out in the dark, God sees us just the same as if we are in the light of the day. There is no hiding from the presence of God. So he looks at you and you go, dang, he sees that darkness. But yeah, he still loves you. He still cares about you. That's what's amazing about this relationship that we have with God. And so when we see this, Jonah was a prophet of God. So he would think, you would think that if anyone can run, doesn't run from God, Jonah should know you don't run from God. The dude's going to find him. And so check this out. So Jonah got up to flee from Tarish, from the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship headed to Tarish. He made the fare and went aboard to go with him to Tarish, away from the Lord. Now get this. We, in the, in, in the Word of God, say, well, what happens? Nineveh is that way, Tarsh is this way. But if you think about this, if you know anything about Tarsh, which I'm butchering the pronunciation of it, okay? How do you pronounce it? It's close enough. It really is. Because if I wrote the Word of God, I would say, Chicago. Who can't say Chicago? He was supposed to go to New York, he was in Philadelphia, and he went to Chicago. Yeah, you can do it, can't you? You can pronounce these names, not these ones. And so, here's the thing about Chicago, okay? okay? That's what's amazing about this. If you've done any study in, in theology, the Israel God was not known in that city. So not only he's going the opposite direction, he's going to a city that's not known to know God. So God's presence has never been there. So he goes, I'm going there. It's like going to Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And God's not in Vegas or wherever it is. I'm not getting out. Someone, someone takes that out of content. Well, you know, pastor said Vegas is going to hell. No, listen to the whole thing. And so look at Jonah chapter 1, 4 through 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. This is what's interesting. This is where the storm kicks in. I love Jonah. He's such a nuthead. And that there was a great storm on the sea. The ship looked like it might be broken to pieces. The sailors were terrified, and each one cried out to his God. They heard, hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to make it lighter. Now Jonah had gone down in the hole of the vessel to lay down in a deep, deep sleep. Follow me. He's not in reality, right? The dude's asleep. He's in a compartment in the boat. Compartmentalization, literally. Okay, he's sleeping in the boat. The storm hits him, dude wakes him up to his own reality. Okay? And all of a sudden it starts every compartment that he's doing. And then the guy's going, I don't know what's going on, but you start praying to your God, we'll start praying to our God, we'll figure this out. Because the ship officer on the screen came and said to him, how can you possibly be sleeping so deeply? Get out, call your God. Perhaps a God you will give you some thought to us that we won't perish. Oh, yeah, he did give him thought. Because he knew what he was doing. 
And so, the real, here, here, this is my theology. If Jonah said, turn the boat around, I think the water would just calm, take me back. No, Jonah goes, kill me. I ain't doing it, kill me, throw me in the ocean. That's what happened, but yet God went and used a fish to get him. This guy was trying to commit suicide, God wouldn't let him commit suicide. That, that's what's going on, you know that, right? Because all through Jonah, he's going, kill me, kill me. The last words Jonah ever said in scripture goes, God, why don't you kill me? I don't know, he just cracked me up. So on the screen, Jonah woke up to a reality that could try to run from God, but he couldn't hide. Reality had caught up with him. This is what happened. Because in part of your life, that all of a sudden those compartments that you're emotionally juggling with, they're going to come together. God's going to allow a storm to hit. God's going to allow someone to say something where you're just going, dang, this is all falling apart for me. Because we use the term juggling things in our life. That's what we do when we compartmentalize. We juggle things in our lives. Thinking out, trying to give God a wake-up call. Look on the screen. Wake-up calls never feel like grace. But they can often be the best friend that it can ever give us. Because wake-up calls often are saving grace. If you want a spirit God moment, and you think a spirit God moment is kumbaya, I'm really feeling good, and oh, I felt peace. Sometimes the movement of God will kick you hard and shake your life to the point where you're going, who am I? And that's what he does with me all the time. That don't put your identity in this. I'm going to shake it up because your identity is in me, boy. And that's what I need to understand. I am God's creation. You are God's creation. My identity is not in my car, which... <sighs> <laughs> My identity is in Christ. I think there are three main reasons how God does this, how he wakes us up. The first one's on the screen. God's spirit. Oh, man. God's word in my stupid life. That God just does wake-up calls. Let's look at the first one, God's spirit. The psalmist writes this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven... You will be there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are, all, uh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle to the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. Here's what God's spirit is. God's spirit is love. That's what God's spirit is. So it doesn't matter where you are in your compartments. God's presence is there. God's presence is there. And so it doesn't matter. You're in this compartment that you created and nobody's going to understand, nobody's going to get God's presence in there. You just got to know it. You got to know it. And sometimes his presence kicks you. And sometimes you're saying, this is my little bubble that I need to live in. No, it's not. Because you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. See, it's interesting. The second thing I've noticed is, is when it comes to scripture, I think I read this. No, I didn't. But sometimes God's Spirit will come to us like a violent wind that threatens to break apart our little compartments where we're trying to hide. Adi, 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 If you know what I'm talking about, I've played hide and seek. And so, 
I want you to the word of God is one way that we hear from God but it's interesting George Washington Carver said this I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we only tune in if you look at the history of the word of God people connected to God before the Bible was written through nature they knew without a doubt. When I go to Joshua Tree, we, we, I took Alan Lillian and Jennifer and I went to Joshua Tree. Now, I don't know, this is just me, but I, I took them to my favorite place in wee hours in the night, like it was like you know, 9, 30, 10. And I got out of the car and I go, this is God's country. And I, I, I don't know if they had the same experience. It's just something with nature just blows my mind that I felt so in the presence of God at that time. And so when we understand, when we get in the Word, when we get in nature, it's interesting because the psalmist also wrote this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The degrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the Lord. The commandments of the Lord is clear, enlightens our eyes. This is when we get into the Word of God. Jesus said, you look at the Word of God, it is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. It's an introduction of who Jesus is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus says. And if you look at his incredible personality that Jesus has, Jesus even said this in Matthew. He said to him, you shall love the Lord. Now this is where I, I was programming, I was thinking I would get emotional. I'm trying not to because this is my biggest pet peeve. I have pet peeves. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Three compartments. Right? Three compartments. Jesus knows. Because we can love God with our minds, but our heart's not in it. Right? And so when he says, this is the greatest and first commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Is to love God. The second greatest commandment is like this. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the laws of the prophet. It's love, dude. Nobody cares about your theology of your doctrine and have you have a PhD and degrees in, in theology and Bible stuff. How we are judged. Do we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind? And do we love one another? Doesn't say that we should judge one another. Doesn't say that, does it? These are the greatest commands. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science, because I'm getting this, and I'm not a credible PhD, Bible belt, okay. When we are hiding, we can't live in reality. Now follow me. And to live in reality, according to Jesus, is to live fully alive to love. Love for God, love for others, and love for ourselves. This is where I've learned this. When I have difficulties trusting in God, it severs my relationship. And when I sever my relationship of not loving each other, then what happens, I take the role of God in my life. I take the role of leading my life. I take the role of saying, I know what's best for me. And so therefore we go, I have to do this. I have to do, do this because I'm playing God. And so it severs the relationship. This is not sustainable because it's going to catch up just like with Ted Haggard 
He loved God with all his mind, but his heart, he didn't trust him with this area of his life. And now he does, but he didn't. And so it, it creates craziness around what's going on. And life catches up. But finally, God gets God Ted's attention. Finally, God gets our attention. Look on the screen. We can't hide from God's loving presence. God is always speaking to us, trying to get our attention, to woo us back in the right relationship with ourselves, others, and God. There is a fancy theological phrase for this. It's called prevalent grace. It is divine grace that goes before us when we're still lost and hiding to help us choose faith over fear. You cannot be full of faith without with fear. Fear, you see, fear is a crazy motivation. It really is. There's a lot of things I want to do in my life in the church, but I don't do it because I'm fear. Same with you. Same with you. I promise you, if you do not embrace fear so much and embrace faith, man, you could fulfill some of those dreams God has given you. Because you don't, because you and I play victims. Or we're afraid that we can't do it. I love it when I'm right. Because it's dead silent. Okay? I know I'm right. Because I know the Holy Spirit's leading me. And the thing is, when you're good at convicting people, it's because you're convicting yourself. I need the altar call more than you guys. How do you do that? Pray for me. (laughs) Lord, I just convicted myself. Why do we run and hide? Because we don't choose faith. God's grace is always there trying to help us choose it. Look on the screen. When we choose faith, we choose love. Some of you don't love yourself. That's your problem. How I know that? Because I don't. I struggle with loving myself. Because I've been brought up within the church that to love me is very conditional. That I need to be a pastor that's lovable, that I need to meet your needs and what a lovable pastor is. So you got 100 people here, whatever. I'm focused on the ones that are pissed off at me rather than the ones that love me. But I have to understand that I, God loves me for me. Amen. And loves you for you. Amen. And so to increase their faith, he says, if you had a faith of the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Have you ever seen preachers do these sermons on mustard seeds? They pass out mustard seeds, and then you lose them because they're so small you can't even see them. And then you feel like totally like an idiot, like, look, my faith needs to be like this, and I can't move myself out of bed because I'm so lazy, but it's a mustard seed. And I don't think Jesus is talking about belief here. There's a big difference between believing and having faith. And we think, well, yeah, I believe, but faith is action. Faith is trusting. There's a lot of things I believe that I don't have faith in. It's a head thing, I believe, but it's not a heart thing and not a soul thing, because I love God with all my head. Man, my heart and soul is another thing. Because I believe the Word of God, but I don't have faith in it. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I don't have faith in it. So do I have faith? That's important. This is where it's important to understand. Ted Haggard was preaching to his mega church, and I believed he believed everything with his head. He probably preached against the forgiveness of the Lord. He preached on this, but deep down he had struggle 
with, do I really have faith to be open about a struggle in my life? Do I have really enough faith to come out of my spiritual closet? Because we don't want to do that. And so most people that come out is because they get caught. They don't go, hey, by the way, I just stole 30 bucks from my mom. Did you steal this? No, no, no. I have surveillance in my bedroom, son. Okay, I did, I'm sorry. You see what I mean? What's just as good as God's presence and the Holy Spirit is your mom's presence. Because somehow mom can see everything in the back, not even in the back of her head, she can see things two states away. She's going, I didn't know that, mom. Come on. And so this is where it's interesting because what happens when Ted Haggard, this is my speculation, was, was um, compartmentalizing, it was so difficulties that you have to numb the pain, the numb the shame, numb the guilt. And therefore, pornography does that. Therefore, drugs do that. Therefore, addiction does that. Because we've got to kind of make it in life. We've got to keep going. Do you see how fear works against faith here? Do you see, hey, I've got to stop this addiction. I've got to stop this. Let me give you an example, see, an example of the prodigal son when it comes to the mustard seed. His faith in his dad was a mustard seed. And what's interesting is he, he trusted his dad, but didn't fully understand or trust his dad to bring him back to a son role. He knew his dad might be able to give him a slave role, but yet that mustard seed gave him the ability, I don't get my father yet, I don't get God yet, but I'm going to take my steps towards God right now. And God will, will reveal it to him yes. that it was far better than any expectation. Look on the screen. The, the prodigal son exercised a mustard seed of faith when he decided to trust his dad enough to go home. Trust exists in the courage, courageous choices we make. Thankfully, even when we run from reality, God seeks us out and inspires even the smallest amount of trust so we can choose love, relationships, and faith over fear. And so as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to do the altar call now. Do you mind? Yeah. While the worship team comes forward. <coughs> and it's interesting because I need this too. I really do. And... Um, I want Pastor Al to pray over me. And so after I pray, no, Pastor Al, why don't you come here and, um, and pray over me now? Because I, I, I need to be prayed over before I pray over people. And I think that I've got to stop parking my I've got to stop You know, you're right. And, but I, I don't lead just by the word. I have to lead with my life. That's what sucks about life. Yes, yes, yes. We, we give great advice, don't we? Yes. We just don't take it. And so, uh, Pastor Al, would you mind praying over me? And then I will ask you guys, after he prays over me, just a line here. I'm expecting a line. Amen. And Pastor Al and I and Pastor Ruben will pray over you. Amen. You don't need to tell what your compartment is. But we're going to pray for courage. 
and to know that you cannot run from the presence of God and that God's presence is love and that you can be a piece of who you are. You can be open with who you are and just say, you know what? This is me right now. I am busted up pieces and I'm done with compartmentalization. I'm a mess and I need to trust him and I need to live by faith, not just with belief. Pastor, I'll pray over you. Thank you.